0: The coronavirus is the biggest threat this country has faced for decades. We have asked everyone in Wales to make changes in the way we live our lives. Stay at home
1: during this pandemic. Welcome to Journos in Lockdown. A podcast created by trainee broadcast journalists who are learning to report in a global pandemic. As we've not been able to go out and meet journalists, we've decided to bring them to you and ask them what challenges coronavirus has brought them and what the future of journalism might look like. Hello and welcome to another episode of Journalers in Lockdown. I'm Fionn Clark and a few weeks ago I got to speak to ex-BBC journalist and the current investigations editor for the Bureau of Investigative Journalism, Madeon Jones. We spoke about the importance of investigations, how journalists could be better at holding the government to account, and even about bad rom-coms, so here is the full episode. Thank you very much for speaking to me today and I really appreciate it first of all how are you doing today
0: it's good it's sunny Uh, what more could you want
1: what does a working day look like for you now how has coronavirus impacted that
0: Uh, we're doing the same amount of work we've got a lot of pieces going out perhaps more than usual it's just differently structured Uh, so you've got meetings that you know are coming up Uh, about pieces that are going out. We've got a piece going out today uh, about a drug called Propofol, which is used in the uh, ventilator recovery of uh, corona patients, and um, pointing out the difficulties with the production line for that. There are very few factories that make it. It's very easy for it to be disrupted. Uh, so looking at looking at the um, fragility of the supply chain for some of the vital drugs that we need uh, to treat COVID-19. Uh, we've got something on homelessness going on, out later this week, uh, possibly also uh, something at the weekend, uh, and another piece about councils. Uh, so we've got various pieces on the way. I'm talking to partners, uh, people like Channel 4, HuffPost, various people who we're involved in conversations with about all this. Uh, we're also um, looking at what's coming in bound, new stuff that's coming in. A lot of uh, people try and tip us off to stories. Many of those people are mad, bad, or dangerous. Uh, we had one person today uh, asking why we weren't investigating the use of hydrogen peroxide, which is a bleach. To inject into people who had COVID-19, which would kill them. Uh, they seem to think this would be a good treatment, very much like Trump with his injecting disinfectants the other week. And then on the other hand, we've got one very good tip-off that's coming in the last few days. And we had to have a discussion about how we will deal with that, uh, secure means of communication, all these sorts of things. Uh, so quite a range of different stuff.
1: So how does it impact the ability to properly investigate things now that people have to work at home or distance a bit more?
0: What you can't do is the really deep source development stuff which is very important if you're doing investigations. You really need to meet people face to face and get them to trust you um, and you know bring them out of their shells and eventually maybe you're going to get that huge story out of them. That isn't possible to do under these conditions. Most of what we do, you can do. You can talk to experts, you can talk to lawyers. Uh, there are lots of people you can talk to most of the work you can do in this way. Um, but it prevents you from doing that really deep stuff, which, which does need to be person to person, face to face. Uh, it doesn't stop people dropping you a load of data, you know, an anonymous data drop of some sort, which you can then follow up. Um, but it is it's very very difficult to get people to trust you who don't know you already uh, over a zoom or google hangout or anything like that
1: so how has it impacted the kind of topics you're able to focus on
0: well that's a different question so normally we would spend months and months working on an area becoming the absolute experts on it and only then putting out copy so For instance, last year, we did a lot of stuff on how the beef industry in Brazil uh, is responsible for most of the Amazon deforestation and destruction, the fires. We worked on that from late 2018 to the middle of 2019, more than six months' work before we put out anything at all. And then we carried on putting out pieces over the next six months. We're still putting out follow-ups today on that, Uh, whereas with... Coronavirus, COVID 19, we had to think in a different way. There was no point sitting there for six months working on something when you don't know what's going to happen at the end. On the other hand, we can't compete with daily news. So we looked at doing things with a four, five, six week turnaround, things where we could put an investigative element into it, but were not fully fledged investigations. And that's what we've been doing over the last couple of months. Uh, So more stories, shorter stories, uh, but with an investigative element, but not out and out investigations.
1: So how important do you think having the news as both that daily thing, but also your more long term investigative angle, how important do you think that is for society now?
0: Well, uh, most of the things that we've been dealing with so far are problems that are developing as we go along, like shortages, for instance. Uh, We leaked a European uh, schedule which showed uh, all the shortages of drugs that are critical for the treatment of COVID-19 right across Europe. Something like that is obviously of immediate interest and immediate use. Uh, and we could work out, you know, which drugs are important, why they're important. You know, we didn't, we didn't just have to rush out a document. What is developing now, of course, is the work around what happens at the end of this, what went wrong during the uh, uh, setting up of the various systems by the government, uh, the huge delay before lockdown came in, the failure to uh, screen people coming in at airports, Uh, right at the start when Wuhan and Italy were the sources of danger, and yet nothing was done to stop them coming in. So that will be very important to dissect what went wrong to try and make sure it doesn't happen again the next time there is a big flu outbreak. Uh, And that is the importance going forward. It's important to hold the government to account, obviously, but it's also important to learn lessons for the future.
1: On that note of accountability, how do you think this has impacted the ability to hold the Government, or anybody in power, to account?
0: Uh, Well, the Government have found uh, various measures to make that difficult. Uh, For instance, the announcement yesterday in a pre-recorded TV um, monologue uh, from the Prime Minister, rather than it being done in Parliament, uh, where they could be held to account rather than it being done where there are active journalists who perhaps could have asked key questions. I think we have been let down by a lot of the journalists during this. Uh, A lot of the questions asked have been stupid questions or confusing questions or really just uh, playing to the audience rather than trying to find out what really happened. Uh, So there is a need for people, and not just us, other people have been doing this as well, um, who are looking deeper and trying to find out what's going, really going on behind the scenes.
1: How, how can journalists be better at holding the government to account now?
0: Well, unfortunately, there's been a big build-up in recent times of journalists around Whitehall are uh, feeling very reliant on briefings from ministers and officials and thinking that a news headline is just to put out what they've been told in that conversation by a minister or an official. Uh, whereas very often that's just propaganda and spin. And time and again I find myself listening to the Today program and thinking, why on earth is that the lead item? You know, something like, say, uh, James Dyson is going to suddenly produce thousands of perfect new ventilators, going to get away, get rid of the ventilator problem. It never happened, but it was headline news the shipments coming in from Turkey, when they did happen, they were far smaller than expected and most of them had to go back. Uh, There's a lot of this parroting of whatever they've just been told rather than analyzing what they've been told, challenging what they've been told. Uh, But it's very easy for, um, particularly a Westminster reporter who feels dependent on these sources of information to put out what is effectively propaganda.
1: And if you, were, if you were a young journalist right now, seeing all this, how, how would you advise those journalists to do better?
0: I think if you're a young journalist, you either have to decide to find a small part of the coronavirus story that you can deal with, something that you can become an expert in, something obscure, a small bit of the story, but that you can be the best at, or you need to ignore coronavirus altogether and look at what's happening afterwards try and find stories that are not coronavirus stories because the appetite will start opening up again very quickly for them and most journalists will be exhausted from doing the coronavirus they won't have been making the calls on other subjects it's a great opportunity for people to get ahead of that game
1: And if you were a young journalist who specifically wanted to do some investigative work, but obviously can't leave your home, what would you advise there?
0: Uh, Well, as I say, it's very difficult to develop sources, um, but you can develop expertise. So uh, you can find areas that you can delve into, and there are people you can talk to who will help you online. There are some people who are stuck at home, bored. Um, You know, we're working as many or more hours as we were before we started working from home. But I know a lot of people who are only working two hours a day. Some of those people will be only too keen to talk to young journalists about the areas they know about. Uh, so, you know, there are things you can do. Um, and, you know, specialization, I would say again, is really important. Find small areas that you can be the best in. Don't try and spread your knowledge across everything. You're listening to Journals in Lockdown.
1: Do you think there'll be any long-lasting impacts on accountability and the relationship between the press and the government after this?
0: It's difficult to say. Um, if there is a public inquiry, it'll probably go on for years, so it won't be terribly helpful. You know, something like the Uh, several inquiry into Bloody Sunday went on for years and years and years and it was very interesting when it came out but it was so long after the event as to not be very helpful. Uh, On the other hand in 2003-04 when there was the Hutton inquiry into the suicide of Dr. David Kelly actually the information was put together very very quickly over about three months It was very revelatory of how the press uh, interfaced with uh, the government. The actual report that was produced as a a result of that was a complete whitewash by Lord Hutton. But in the course of doing the inquiry, most people came to the conclusion uh, that the government had uh, pretended uh, that Iraq was a real threat to Britain and that had used that to justify the invasion of Iraq uh, wrongly. Uh, so it is possible to have quite a quick inquiry that only lasts a few months and which produces enough uh, material that it can be really made use of, um, whether it 's about the relationship of media to government or how government have actually handled a problem in this case the coronavirus crisis
1: as an investigative journalist, this may be a difficult question, but what what do you personally think the most important story has been during this lockdown
0: so far. I think there are a number, all of which need following up. I mean, one obviously is the massive overrepresentation of BAME individuals, both doctors and nurses and members of the public, uh, in the uh, death lists. Um, I think the Financial Times has done really good work looking at the numbers and concentrating on the surplus deaths, uh, which uh, are far, far higher than the official coronavirus death tolls, and yet probably the best indicator of how many people have died. Um, I think there have been some very good stories trying to dig into what was going on in Whitehall, what the real agendas were, and I think a lot more will come out on that. Uh, As this ends, and some people are disgruntled and want to come out and talk to journalists about what really happened. People who feel that perhaps they're unfairly portrayed. I think a lot more will come out about the status of the scientific advisory group. I mean, we saw yesterday uh, with Boris Johnson's presentation that there were some absurd pseudoscience slides in that presentation. Uh, One of which said that the alert level, which is between one and five, is set by adding the R number, which at the moment is between 0.6 and 9, with the number of casualties, which is in the hundreds of thousands. It didn't make any sense at all. It was meant to look like a mathematical equation, almost like one of those uh, adverts for hair products, which then go, here comes the science moment. And you're not really meant to listen to it. Uh, but it's meant to impress you that it's all scientific and it, it was complete gobbledygook, it was nonsense. Um, so yeah, there, there are many interesting areas to dig into, and there has been good journalism in this.
1: And obviously now the news is almost more ever-present than ever, a lot of journalists are working from home, how, how has all this impacted your work-life balance and ability to separate yourself from your work?
0: Well, I'm fortunate in that um, I've got a room, a spare bedroom that I can work in, so I can cut myself off to some extent. I miss having uh, impromptu conversations with other journalists. I miss going out and talking to people. Uh, The more uh, perspectives you're exposed to, the better, and that's quite difficult when you're doing that online. I also, normally when I'm working, I have a routine that I get up, seven o'clock i do urgent work for the first half hour deal with incoming whatever i then go for a swim in my local swimming pool which is around the corner i get a train and i've got a folding bike and i cycle into work so by the time i get into work i'm in a i'm in a very good frame of mind i've done some exercise now the swimming pool is closed um i don't have that barrier that gap between my home life and my work life um, and I don't think that is very healthy long-term. You know, I have worked freelance at times from home. I'm not somebody who enjoys doing that. I enjoy, uh, I enjoy working with other people in a team, leading a team, and you can do that online, uh, but it is much more difficult.
1: What, what do you think the lockdown has taught you? Is there anything that you will want to take with you once lockdown is over, if and when that does happen? Well,
0: we do have some remote workers in uh, Wales, Scotland, and the northwest of England. And it's taught me a lot about how we need to treat them and to make remote working as good as possible for them. So one of the main lessons to me has been what the difficulties are of remote working and how we can improve that for our remote workers. Uh, Because... um, We want to be more flexible, we want more people to be able to work from home or in the regions. Uh, We are working increasingly with journalists around the world, in other countries. Uh, Obviously we can't go and meet them all the time, Uh, so it's taught us a lot about how to make make the best use of Zoom or Google Hangouts or whichever other tools we're using. Uh, And we have learned a lot from that, but it's also taught us that for instance, we want to set up a, a network of global health reporters at the moment. Normally, we would just go to a big journalist, uh, journalist convention and set up a, a meeting while we were there with other health journalists uh, from all over the world. And you get together in a room and you can quickly uh, work out what you want to do and how to do it. And it's much more difficult to do that over Zoom or Hangouts.
1: And just to end on a slightly lighter note, I saw that you tweeted about Doctor Who and I was just wondering if there are any other shows or escapisms that you're enjoying right now.
0: Uh, I am terribly into bad rom-coms. No, <laughs> I know it doesn't fit with my image, but I am. And what, what am I watching? And what? I'm, I'm watching a series called um, Babylon Berlin, which was made by a German TV company uh, and it's subtitled. And it's about uh, Weimar Germany and the beginnings of the battles between the communists and the Nazis, uh, and it's really interesting, and really fun. Uh, so that's that's the sort of rubbish I'm watching at the moment.
1: <laughs> Fantastic. Well, thank you very much for talking to me today. Thanks, Fiona. Well, thanks again to Melion for joining us, and thanks to you for listening. Next week we'll be taking a short break because we are MA students and we have got some exams. But we'll be back with some great guests after that. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter. We're at Lockdown And until next time, stay safe.